Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, welcome everybody. Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, uh, as is the case each and every Wednesday. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our roundtable regulars, our panel of political pundits include, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter joins us. Hi, Henry. Good morning, Tom. And uh, with no objection, we had to <laughs> we add to the roundtable uh, discussion today. Political operative and 2020 elector Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome. Hi. Glad to see you guys. Good morning. And I, I, Bobby, you picked a great year to be an elector. <laughs> oh, I know. Exciting, huh? <laughs> yeah. And and I take it there are no objections to... to, <laughs> to <laughs> Without objection. Well, no, I know where you live, so don't object. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You might get a call from the president. Um, that one might. <laughs> anyway, we always start out with a few quotes, and, and the first one is, uh, is always... Uh, the finish the quote where I ask you how would you finish this quote and it goes be at war with your vices at peace with your neighbors and let every new year what uh, be the beginning of a new aspiration yeah or show your best or something like that I don't know yeah yeah, both of both of you are on the right track. The uh, original quote is, "Be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man." Uh-huh. Close, yeah. <clears throat> yep. Well, that doesn't apply to me, so 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if that uh, uh, quote goes back a few years, and I, I don't think if uh, somebody were to make that comment today, they would say, um, they would probably say, find you a better person. But that was, uh, better. Um, any thoughts on who might have said that? Hmm. Roosevelt. Hmm. Now it goes back yeah, further than that. It was Benjamin Franklin. Ah, okay. That sounds like huh. a good Ben Franklin quote. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going for John Stuart Mill, but it didn't quite fit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, Happy New Year, everybody, and we'll go ahead and uh, and kick it off. There's so much going on. There's, uh, of course, the election that's still playing out from Georgia. There's the uh, certification of the electoral uh, college vote, which uh, is going on uh, later today in the uh, in the Capitol. But uh, but let's start out with this. I hope that our great vice president. Our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of president course, Trump. if he doesn't come well. through, I won't like him as much. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that, was, that was Trump down in Georgia the other day. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that was President Donald Trump. He uh, uh, zeroed in on the vice president's role in certifying the 2020 presidential election results as a potential Hail Mary during a rally meant for a pair of Georgia GOP Senate candidates on Monday night, saying that he hoped Mike Pence would come through for us. But Trump, who um, was seen in the Oval Office with the vice president shortly before departing for Georgia, wouldn't say exactly what he wants Pence to do, given that his role in certifying electors is largely ceremonial. Is this another example of elected officials using or attempting to use extraordinary provisions to address relatively routine matters? Well, if they don't know any other place in the system to plug in their power, I suppose they look for it. I was thinking it reminds me of the famous Statue of Liberty play, you know, talk about a Hail Mary. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I, th- I think what's interesting is that, I mean, I think Brendan Beery said it in your last hour that this is ceremonial and, uh, if Pence somehow tried to do something else, it could end up in court where they would order him to do his job, which is just to read the results, basically. The the analogy I heard was, was, was kind of like the uh, the MCs at the Academy Awards who announce the winners. They don't decide the winners. And that's apparently is Pence's role today. Yeah, it, it was described. And that's exactly what Pence is going to do. He'll do nothing different. I, yeah. You know, I thought the option that... Um that uh, Brendan Beery suggested in the last hour of uh, just not showing up was an interesting one, and one that's been done before, not yeah. often, but oh. it has happened. And and then it, it falls to the, um, oh, what's the position, Paul? You'll remember better than I. Um, A protein leader? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Henry. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the senior senator, right? Majority leader? Well, it's the, the pro tem. Pro tem is the pro tem. Yeah, yeah. Is is the term I was <laughs> looking for? I don't don't quite have it. Um, and, and, and you know, the reason I say this is going to happen, just like it's done for two hundred and forty-one years, there will be no glitches. We will proceed as things are scheduled to proceed. Well, apparently, yeah. Mike Pence uh, met with the president last night and and told him. In, in no uncertain terms, that 
he didn't have the authority to overturn an election. Yeah, yeah. He, he said the right thing. Yeah, good for him. Well, here's here's another quote that I found uh, um, that that caught my attention. There were a lot <laughs> because there's a lot going on. But, but this one sort of caught my attention. Stop obsessing about those women from Michigan. You're not our type. <laughs> oh, that was the attorney general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first statement. It, it was. <laughs> Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, um, after President Donald Trump prompted the response when he used a late-night tweet over the weekend to criticize Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, continuing to push election conspiracies in the waning days of his presidency, would push back against President Trump's tweets, which seem to be increasing, continue if he actually had won re-election? Hmm, good question. Yeah, what would his position be if he had won? Yeah, but he, um, I'm, I'm sure he had a vision for what he was going to do. But yeah. he should have learned by then that he's achieved everything that he ever wanted to achieve. Now, now is the time to back off and join the American people. You know, I, I see what Tom's saying. I mean, if, if he had won, there might be the realities that, well, gee, if there are federal benefits that are on the line, you don't want to rock the boat too much, they might have yeah. held back. I, I see what you're saying. That's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious about that. And and speaking to, to Henry's point, I you know, I've thought the same thing. In fact, I was thinking about how elegantly um, Jimmy Carter responded to his one-term service by going out and trying to be the best ex-president he could. Yeah. Yep. And he's he really done that. Probably true. Yeah. Yeah, he's done that uh, with the housing opportunities. He, his name is still out there doing good for the public in America, and they're all benefiting from it, no matter what yeah. their gender, their race, their age, or their religion. And the whole Car- the Carter Center to for election integrity around the world. I mean, they played a role in overseeing, or at least taking a look at elections in many other countries around the world. It's, it's a significant organization. Yeah. I get a Christmas card from him every year. Yeah, same here, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we who supported him in his center. You're usually asking for money. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do, too. I, I support his <laughs> center. I, uh, I, I, I don't get anything from Jimmy Carter. In fact, I tried to invite him on the show once several years ago, and um, didn't get very far going through the uh, through the museum and library, but um, all I get is uh, I get lots and lots of emails from Donald Trump, and uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I get a ton of those myself. <laughs> us- usually <laughs> offering an autographed MAGA hat. Yeah, I've, I've seen those. <laughs> I've those and the calendar or a like calendar. I got I got. Dozen or of those a, a day during the election. Or a coin. You know. I feel left out. All I get is occasional mail. I'm I'm a little disappointed in uh in our um in in Senator uh Stabenow because we had a, a really good relationship and we had emails going back and forth and she's been on the show many times. And now every email I get from 
with Stabenow's name attached to it, um, has a fundraising component. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they all do. Yeah. I get them from both the Democrats and the Republicans. I, I do as well. Because I, I belong to the, I, I um, wanted to see what the uh, Senatorial Black Caucus was doing, or the, yeah. whatever they call it. And I'm on their mailing list. Yeah, I, I think during so, the election, I was getting 30 or 40 an hour during some time. Yeah. From, from both yeah, parties. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. And, and, and nearly all fundraising is uh, usually tied to some kind of a, a, uh, Benefit. A, uh, a survey that you want you to take. But at the uh, end of the survey, could you, could you send us you know, $25 or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Speaking of surveys, I got an interesting phone call yesterday. With a, it was a robocall surveying me regarding a, a potential millage that would be used for economic development in Flint oh. and Genesee County. Did anybody else receive one? No, I don't believe I think I did, too. I, I, I think I did. I got that. Yeah, I well, I answered uh, undecided on all of the questions because I don't know enough about it. But is this millage huh. coming up next next year, or is one that's already passed? No, um, I think no, it, no, it's, it's, it's no. It sounds like somebody's floating the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think they're doing. Yeah, I suspect Chamber of Commerce, of course. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they got to do that because they, they are money strapped. They, they so the chamber or the state or the county? No, the city. The county, city. All the of county. the above. Oh, yeah, I was going to say all <laughs> of the above these days. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> including the people that live here and pay taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet, um, somewhere, whether it's the chamber or a department at City Hall or, or maybe a department uh, of the county, um, including help from the state, there needs to be something done about economic development. Especially, there definitely does. Especially you know, as we pull out of this pandemic and things start to move again, um, that's that's an ideal time to try to encourage uh, some job creation, especially in Flint and Genesee County. Yeah, I've been talking about that all. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say everything's connected to the economy. And um, and that includes education and roads and everything else that we do with our tax money. So the reason I answered undecided on all of them is I want more information on exactly what they mean than when they give me these glowing terms and phrases and job development. You know. Yeah, I think one, one well, thing we do one thing we don't do well is we don't have the city working well with the county compared to Oakland County, for example, where you had much more unified uh, programs that I think here in Genesee County there's so much friction between the city of Flint and the out county that it, it does discourage economic development. It does, but you know, Oakland County is a charter county, and they have a county executive. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a uh, good point. Well, yeah, we, have, anyway. we have to uh, take a break here, and uh, then we'll be back with more Armchair Politics with Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, Bobby Clayton Walton joining us. And I will mention, if I can squeeze it in very quickly, that a little later this morning, the Michigan uh, uh, Democratic Congressional Delegation in the House of Representatives is holding a press conference preceding today's uh, uh, proposed objections to the Everybody electoral college Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to Genesee Health Plan. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Summer Program.com. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, just before the break, I was talking about the uh, Michigan House Democrats uh, that will be holding a uh, press conference this morning. Uh, Dan Kildee, Brenda Lawrence, Debbie Dingle, Alyssa Slotkin, Andy Levin, Haley Stevens, Rashida Tlaib are uh, all getting together to uh, make some uh pre-event observations about uh, any potential objections by Republicans to the state's uh, Electoral College certification. And uh, we'll see later on today what what they have to say about that. And we'll be talking about that. And, uh, and of course, we'll probably touch on uh, the... the, uh, Senate race in Georgia, that special election, uh, as uh, as we get a little further into the uh, into the show today. But those aren't the only elections that are going on uh, presently. At least two members of the county board of commissioners are campaigning to lead the board as chair in 2021, a decision that's expected to be made today. Commissioners Mark Young, a Democrat from Grand Blanc, and uh, Democrat Ellen Ellenberg from Burton both told uh, M Live they are interested in the position, which carries with it the ability to help set the commission's direction and uh, an additional $4,900 in salary plus the authority to appoint fellow commissioners to committee, committee leadership positions. How much does a county board chair influence the actions and directions of the board? Pretty much. Yes. I think yes, the, the appointing of, of chairs especially can make a huge difference there. Um, it is, yeah. And, and they really set the tone. You know, if you remember a few years ago when uh, Jamie Curtis sat in the chair, it was very difficult to, well, that was when I was going to meetings and raising a little bit of a stink, but it was very hard to get, uh, he you knew how to leverage the system in such a way that information was not readily available to the public. So it's a powerful position. Well, let's see. Moving on, uh, Dr. Pamela Hackert has taken the helm of the county health department during a hailstorm of COVID-19 developments, vowing to work with the community to drive down the spread of the virus and help coordinate distribution of vaccines as they become more available. An attorney and medical doctor, Hacker, was hired by the County Board of Commissioners to replace both former health officer John McKellar and uh, medical uh, director uh, Dr. Gary Johnson, both of whom retired late last year. She started her new position Monday, charged with coordinating coronavirus response in the short term and building up public health efforts generally throughout the county in the long term. Was uh, consolidating those two positions a good idea? Hmm. I I don't know enough about the internal operation of those positions myself. I don't know. And Bobby, if you were more aware of that than I am, maybe. I don't know. No, I don't know. I think sometimes... Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to agree with Henry. I think it depends upon... Uh, how you're dividing up the responsibilities, and under the new conditions, are you going to cover everything that needs to be covered? That's pretty much what I was going to say. It depends on <clears throat> what the role is and whether they could be conveniently and uh, resourcefully covered by one person and yet get the same results. 
You'd have yeah. to be uh, <clears throat> Billy Durant to do that. And it sounds like with the COVID issue that there's going to be so much more responsibility placed on, you know, direct local local officials and the local contact to, to deliver the vaccine especially, that uh, it's going to be a big job. Yeah, it is a big job. And I think the coordination from the top, which is sorely lacking at this point, is very evident when you see how many vaccinations we haven't been able to deliver. True, yeah. Well, here's, um, I, I thought it sounded good, at, at least from a fiscal standpoint. Um, you know, if you if you can consolidate those two positions and be effective, you know, you can save some money in the process. Um, yeah, as long as yeah, it worked, it could be. Exactly. Uh, but moving on, federal prosecutors accused the owner and president of a Flint chemical company with dumping nearly 50 million gallons of untreated liquid drained from eight different landfills into the city's sewer system. The president and owner of Oil Chem Incorporated is charged in a U.S. District Court indictment with a felony of knowing violation of the Clean Water Act. He is charged with directing his employees to dispose of the landfill uh, uh, material through a hose from a tank to a sanitary sewer drain located at the Oil Chem facility without treatment and in violation of Oil Chem's wastewater discharge permit from January 2007 until October of 2015 including waste from one hauler that included PCBs according to information filed with the federal court on December 21st. Do these charges show increased scrutiny of water treatment activities in Flint? Well they at least show new sources of money but, and and that's clever. And by this time, now remember, the Clean Water Act was was uh, incorporated in 1972, and then the Clean uh, the, the 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 Freshwater Act for species in the river was 1983. So these individuals and the owner knew that they were violating law that would get them in deep trouble if they were found out. So this company deserves, and we used to take our oil, spent oil, some of it, to, to oil cam at Buick. And I'm surprised that they did that after 2007. And the Clean Water Act was, was uh, created in 1973. It's going on for eight years, I think. Act in 1983. I'm well, surprised. If you look at how little the, the penalties are for this kind of environmental violation, it's, um, the companies actually, I think they calculate the cost-benefit on um, the long term on violating the law, and then if they're caught and they pay a fine, because there certainly isn't any jail time for the people that, that caused the problem, or if they're going to be required to clean it up under the, the brownfields, um, they wind up going bankrupt and closing down. So as an economic incentive, we don't have teeth in our environmental laws. But the individuals who worked for the company, who was directed to uh, dump that oil in the city sewer, are also guilty. 
Because they may be code, guilty, but are they culpable? I don't know. They won't get any penalty. Well, any they're both. The law, yeah. the law says if you knowingly do this, then you are in violation of that law. Well, is that, the same, is that the same principle as what happened when the lead was in the water in Flint? Where you're going to punish the little guy down the line that's trying to preserve his job, as opposed to the guy at the top that's making the well, decision? They, uh, the law makes no distinction for that. I know that, but that's a, that's a moral principle that I think we need if, to look at. If you saw that in the water, you had an obligation to report that. Sure. If you saw it. Yeah, sure. And when I saw that, it was my, my reaction was just one more Flint water story. I mean, Flint's not going to get out of this issue. Yeah, I would think with all the problems water. there have been with water in Flint that these guys would be, uh, or, or at least should be, in real hot water. Yeah, literally, literally. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, I had to squeeze that in. The Genesee County <laughs> Sheriff's Office is partnering with Mount Morris Consolidated Schools on an inmate education program to break the cycle of generational incarceration that's negatively affecting families and communities. The IGNITE, or into, uh, Inmate Growth Naturally and Intentionally Through Education Program, which is why they have an acronym, uh, announced in September expanded the jail's education program beyond just the ability to earn a GED. Inmates can now take classes for their GED, finish their high school diploma, enroll in credit-bearing college courses, earn a certification in food and beverage safety, and obtain a commercial driver's license. Genesee County Sheriff Chris Swanson said that uh, Ignite is the first program of its kind in Michigan. He said the rest of the expansion thus far is for career awareness using multiple platforms to show inmates career opportunities they don't know existed otherwise. Can a program like this have a significant impact on reducing or ending generational incarceration? I hope, so. I hope so. I think it's a great idea. My first question would be how long? I know there's usually it's like 18 months is the most that you can be jailed in a county jail, and anything beyond that you wind up going to prison. Um, the thing that occurred to me is how possible is it for an inmate to complete any of those in uh, the short period of time they may be in the county jail, and would they then be able to pick up where they left off if they got rearrested? I mean, this is something that has long-term... I always have questions about what happens next. But as, as, as badly as some people see public education in Michigan and in Flint and so on and so forth, it does a good job in advising and informing students at that level that there are consequences for not graduating. And there are consequences for getting uh, getting involved in the in the criminal law system. Those things are already taught. How much duplication do we have to have to get it right the first time? And I think there the, the hope some is people, there are some people that are are going to do this in spite of all of the training and money spent for these kind of opportunities. I think the hope is that that'll open the doors. That you know, even even if they're they're there for a short time, that they'll realize there are other other options besides doing illegal things. And it may it may you know 
or give some options to people who didn't really know the options were there. So, I mean, it, it may not work for everybody, but if it works for some, I think it's a step in the right direction. Well, I'd like to suggest yeah. that an ideal would be for the, these programs to be linked to perhaps Mott College or some of the other learning uh, yeah. sources so that once they're released, they could continue their studies maybe at a reduced cost or even on a scholarship program as long as they maintain um, maintain their life in a, in a well, good way. I, I know I'm not, not used that. to offer classes out at the prison in Lapeer. Uh, I know, in fact, a couple of my, my colleagues and my would, would, would drive out there regularly to teach regular college classes out in the, at, into the, uh, the prison in Lapeer. So there are classes available. How many people actually got degrees, I really don't know. But I know that for Guys, some, some years ago, there were classes available. I want to leave this with you about public education. Public education has tried to do its best to create students that are <clears throat> valuable to themselves and, uh, uh, and cautious not to get involved with the legal system in any way, particularly criminally. They do teach that. And I know that if they teach it in Clio, they teach it all over. Mm -hmm. It's part of the national and state uh, mandates. Do you think this could be a, uh, a, a detour on the pipeline from school to prison? I would hope so. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I think it's worth trying. I mean, you never know what the success rate is going to be, but I think it's, oh. it's, a, it's, a, it's an honorable attempt to make, a, make an effort in that direction. I think it is, too. I, I wonder if this is part of that program that was... Um, in process from Wayne State University looking at the county jails and looking at um, the incidents of uh, people being diverted and also in support systems once they are released. There's a whole study that's being done. I went to one of their meetings uh, last year and I would be interested in following up and seeing where, where, did this, where did we get this program or this idea and who brought it. I like the idea of maybe directing this process through the colleges, but the K through 12 system <clears throat> has done its best to create the kind of people that would be um, proud to have been a graduate of a local high school. High schools are very, very cognizant of that. And their, their ability to compete for students throughout the state is based on that. Well, Henry, mm -hmm. your support and, and your contributions to public education are, are certainly most appreciated and, and uh, respected. Um, but, but in the city of Flint, for example, there at, at one time was at least or higher than 50% dropout rate. So as hard as the schools might try, they weren't reaching everyone. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot more. The variables in anything like that are so many, and you can't look at just one. 
Well, moving uh, on to Lansing, Governor Gretchen Whitmer vetoed 13 bills Wednesday, including legislation she said would endanger the lives of Michiganders if it were enacted into law. The vetoes mark the latest chapter in the ongoing fight between the legislature and the governor over how best to battle the COVID-19 pandemic. Whitmer was expected to veto at least two of the measures. Both were largely partisan efforts to restrict the powers of the governor and state health officials during a state of emergency. Is the seeming war between Michigan's Democrat governor and the state's Republican-led legislature going to continue in 2021? Yes, I think so. I think the governor... I think the governor feels that uh, it's her prerogative to do this, and but yet the it's uh, the Republicans are correct too. Anything they didn't put the governor in charge of emergency powers forever, and the governor should tactfully go back and use that incentive to enhance her position in the state for re-election. Well, this COVID COVID emergency is a long-running emergency. It's not like a flood or something that happened and then within a period of weeks it's gone. The COVID emergency is a long-running emergency and it impacts on everything. The economy, the overloading of our health care systems, the schools, there's so much that's impacted by this particular emergency. So I think to be uh, trying to take away the powers of the person who has taken responsibility for all of those things in the state is wrong-headed. No, that that is not. I don't. I don't think that Republicans are so much concerned about that. But they're being bypassed. It's a legislative issue, not one in which the governor can usurp authority from the legislature. And well, that I would that's the interesting. It does not have to be exactly controversial between the two. But that's the interesting because elected. they can't. They're bucking heads all the time. I would like, Henry, for you to point out to me one instance where a legislature has responded to an emergency effective enough to get something done quickly. Well, Well, that's that's not their job to do something quickly. That an emergency never do something quickly. Quick committees never do something quickly. They methodically think through it. They debate it. But sure, the governor should have emergency authority, but there comes a time when you need to pass this through uh, a cooperative body. Well, and it, and it seems interesting that, that there, um, there is the, the kind of emergency that Bobby was talking about where it's all of a sudden a bridge collapses, uh, there's a tornado damage in a community somewhere, um, floods and and those kinds of things some of these things these natural disasters and it's it's difficult to tell if the legislature is saying we should you know have input on all of that or if they're saying yeah fine short-term powers are fine but when you're in a marathon like we are now with the pandemic yeah take your emergency steps but then go to the legislature for a longer range plan yeah, and when, when, they, and when they've had to work together, they have. It. You know, for example, yeah. with the budget, when when push came to shove, for all yep. the conflict and all the uh, yeah. the the partisan bickering, when push came to shove, they finally got some of the budget done. So, I mean, the within ability about is 10 there days. when they're not playing games. They got that all done within about ten or fifteen days. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, here's, they worked on it for a long time before that. Here's here's another. Yeah, but this uh, was uh, oh, that's true. They talked about it a long time, but yeah. then when they got together, they went through it so quickly it passed us, and we didn't know that we had the problem. That's how fast it went. Yeah, all you're describing is there times. was no fight. There was no fight at the end, but there was a lot that went on before they came to the table and signed the yeah. papers. Oh, but true. that was then. That was then. But this is now. They well, acted and they got. Results. Governor Gretchen Whitmer has effectively vetoed a bill passed by the legislature with strong bipartisan support during the lame duck session of the legislature that would have allowed expungement of a first-time drunken driving conviction, a spokeswoman <coughs> confirmed Monday. Uh, Representative Graham Filler, a Republican from DeWitt, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, said on Twitter Wednesday that he had been informed Whitmer would allow Senate Bill 1254 to die by neither signing nor expressly vetoing it within 14 days in what is sometimes known as exercising a pocket veto. Is it appropriate for the governor to use her legislative experience to single-handedly decide the fate of this bill? Oh, and by the way, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly the governor's po- the governor's always got the option to do that. But it was yeah. when I heard the story, it was kind of uh, I wasn't quite sure what the reason was, and the the news stories I saw didn't explain what her objections were to the bill. I did see though that the uh, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving had come out against it for some reason, but again, the reason wasn't clear in what I saw about it. Uh, but yeah. Other than that, as you say, there was, there was bipartisan support for it in the legislature. Yeah. yeah, I I did see this morning though that in New York um, they've also passed a bill regarding uh, people driving without a license and incarceration and further fines <clears throat> because it is a, a problem when you have had your license taken and I don't know if we take a license for the first DUI do we? Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm so not going to tell you how I know that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe the first time it's six months. Yeah. Well, then how do you get to work? I mean, I knew somebody that had to ride a bicycle all well, the time. Well, it's provisional. It's provisional. You're allowed to drive to and from work. Oh, okay. On some cases, but it depends on the severity of the situation because they take your license permanently. <clears throat> after so many points and after so many incidents. But, well, but and then, this this bill uh, said, you know, that, that a first time or a single yeah, time yeah, yeah, could sure. be expunged. And it wasn't an automatic expungement. I think you had to go before a judge and request it, didn't you? Yeah. The judge could make a decision. That's my understanding. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah, expungement almost always has that. But I suppose that if a person who had um, gone to AA and sworn off drinking or did whatever they needed to do, that it would make a good case. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I was a bit surprised by that, but I, maybe there's some reason I wasn't aware of. And like I said, there's, I did hear that one group, the, the the Mothers Against Drunk Driving, came out against it for some reason. But as I say, I'm not sure if there was some other detail in the law that I, I hadn't heard about. Well, I think the Mothers Against Drunk Driving are like a lot of organizations like that they have a very hard line yeah that um yeah, yeah they don't they don't uh, make any excuses for anybody at any time and yeah. there's there's and let's face it 
The one way that you make your living when you're a lobbying group is by stirring up your supporters uh, when there's a change. And okay. that might yeah. have we'll we'll break we'll break here, but we'll be back with more armchair politics right Hello, after this. Hello, citizens. Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, pearly gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. 
A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residents, add $3. The Tom Summer Program.com this is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for this week's uh, two-hour look at local, state, national uh, news and um, current events. The uh, Let's see, where did I leave off? Oh, here we go. Candace Miller, a suburban Detroit official who has tackled environmental problems since leaving Congress, said Monday she won't run for governor in 2022. Miller, a Republican, is a popular public works commissioner in Macomb County. Besides serving 14 years in Congress, she won two statewide races for Secretary of State in the 1990s. Miller's uh, disclosure is significant because it takes someone from a large county with statewide name recognition off the list of potential challengers to Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Will the governor be facing a significant challenge in her next election? And who are likely uh, candidates to mount such a challenge? I think it's too early to tell because yeah, there's such a disarray nationally and statewide that something has to settle down. And people hey, Henry, have to do, you have think, a, you, do you think James would take a, take another shot at that? I, mean, I was just thinking the two, same thing, Paul. Yeah. Huh. He's taken two shots at the Senate so far. Well, you know, now that you mention it, you've created my uh, creative juices here. <laughs> you know, it's no wonder he didn't he didn't take a long time to isolate himself from President Trump when he was criticized. So, and I, I said at that time that he needed to make sure that he stays in contact with his constituency and even move in the directions where he could get the support he needed if he wanted to move into another uh, segment of leadership. Now, you know, I think that there's something to be said about that. I think I think we got a little bit of a hint um, about his intentions with his uh, delayed but yet um, very gracious uh, concession. Yes. Yeah, and that's and what you got to do if you want to come back into the domain. Yeah, and if you look at the constituency for both the Senate and the governorship, they're both statewide, and. Um, I know one of the things I commented to one of my friends who's in Congress is I recognized uh, that he had a very strong base of support in one particular sector of the of the population if that person chose to run for senator governor. So I think if James has a pretty good uh, support that he can count on to come forward statewide, that um, it might be something he would consider. Well, he's, he's uh, become good at raising the money. He does get a lot of financial support, and it takes a lot of money. Um, what do you think, Paul? Do you think the third time for James could be a charm? I, I really don't know. I mean, I think Whitmer's going to be a strong candidate under any conditions, but as I say, she's gotten a, lot, a fair amount of flack for, for some of her actions, although still the majority of support over the COVID issue. 
but James has put together some strong campaigns but never quite uh, got to the finish line in either either uh, Senate race. So, I mean, well, I, I think tying himself, tying himself to Donald Trump was not good for him, although maybe, right. it, maybe it was in some places, but it wasn't uh, in the state. And right now, I think the uh, following what happened in Georgia last night, um, the Democrat... And the Democratic Party uh, is in an ascendancy right now where the Republican Party is being dragged down and split apart. And so uh, James may have a chance in the state of Michigan, but I'm not sure any Republican would. I may be wrong. Yeah. I th- if James is seen as too much of a Trumpy, I think, I, I think what we're going to see is a split in the Republican Party between the Trump Republicans and the, the regular Republicans. And that yeah. may go on for a while. Well, he's certainly well positioned to uh, take up the mantle for people who think the governor has been too strict. Yeah. But they're in the minority if you look at, at the public opinion polls. That's right. That's true. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that's true and a good point. Um, the comp- uh, Are there any other uh, people who could mount as good a challenge as John James could? Hmm. I don't know. You want to bring yeah. Shooty from the graveyard? Hadn't th- hadn't no, even, I hadn't thought well, about Shooty, but that's not out of the question to do a, there's always a, a do-over. Somebody, who's, somebody <laughs> yeah. like, like Snyder, who's just to- totally never been in the picture before, coming out of the, you know, out of the woodwork uh, as a non-politician. That's, that's often been a path for a, a number of, of candidates. And so there may be a name out there, some somebody in business or elsewhere, who makes the pitch that he's not a politician. Like, My, like Myers, Snyder, maybe? Like who? Myers? Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, yeah I suppose. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of his first name, but he he won uh, right. uh, Justin uh, Amash's Myers seat. Yeah. yeah. Justin Myers. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard for any Republican in Michigan because... You've got the Republicans who were very strong and supported Trump, and then you have the Republicans, there's been a few of them that sort of stepped away and became more neutral or more um, nonpartisan. Um, I'm trying to think who might have enough gravitas to pull it off. I don't know. Well, Myers is an interesting choice, and he just recently announced that he was not participating in any objections to the Electoral right. College, right. which is an interesting position for a newcomer to take. Um, and he does have name recognition, and the, and the store name is all over the state. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I I can see the signs now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I should bet my money there. It it would and be very difficult that, Myers, for. Go go ahead, Henry. Myers as a candidate doesn't have to steal money. And he doesn't have to beg for it, and he doesn't have to make any mandates of anybody. He is very well prepared, I, like the governor was. The governor was well-positioned, guys. She was no poor woman. She had resources on her side. Myers has resources. They're both young. Myers being younger, I think he's 30 years old, about 30-something. <clears throat> and and uh, so uh, that in the past has been a uh, problem for some candidates who would like to take on these kind of positions. And those 
that need money generally will go out and put their hands in their own cookie jar. Yeah. Not, I have now, heard having it. said that, though, I think if, if we come to 2022 and the pandemic is kind of pretty much history and the economy is rebuilding or rebuilt, and in particular, if we're out there fixing the damn roads, that may be a pretty tough <laughs> ticket to beat. So, I mean, if, if all three of those yeah. things happen by 2022... Uh, it's going to be a pretty strong Democratic ticket. That's a lot of ifs right. and ands, Paul. That's true. Admittedly, admittedly. Well, you know, did you all see Mark Brewer's list of things to do in the coming No, um, I missed activity? that. Yeah. Well, he had on that list campaign finance reform, and, of course, that's one of my dear subjects. And so I wrote, you know, put me in, Coach. Because when you talk about raising money and all the money that people can raise and all of this other stuff and the impact of money on elections, I think that's, that's a travesty. I think it's awful. And I don't think, I think we need to recognize it as a reality, but we also need to recognize it as something that we could change and make better. Because when public funding came to Maine and Arizona and Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remember the other states for some of the state and local level politicians, you opened up the doors to a more more varied list of candidates that could take a chance and run for office. As it is now, you're either a millionaire or you know people who are. And that doesn't really give us the best leadership. Yeah, that, that's, that's a very good point, Bobby. Well, let's see if we've got... I don't, I don't know if we've got time to squeeze this in or not. Um, yeah, I think I can. At least three of Michigan's Republican members of Congress seem prepared to support objections to the Electoral College vote from several states, including Michigan's, apparently, being awarded to President-elect Joe Biden uh, today. Others may join them in the attempt, though it's almost certain to fail, uh, to keep the vote from being finalized by Biden, who will be inaugurated on January 20th. Even so, early Monday, one of Michigan's two new members of Congress, U.S. Representative Lisa McLean, a Republican from Bruce Township, said she was prepared to support an objection to the state's Electoral College vote being awarded to Biden, who beat President Donald Trump in the November 3rd election in the state by more than 154,000 votes. Do you think it has occurred to Michigan's newest Republican members of Congress that if Michigan and other states have flawed election outcomes, that their own victories are put in question? (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly the point I was thinking of. I mean, all these folks were sworn in a few days ago and the for the folks who were objecting. And it, yeah, you're exactly right. It was their election that they're objecting to. But they hadn't, I don't think anybody uh, uh, deferred from being sworn in as a member of the House or the Senate, claiming that their election was fraudulent. Uh, but now they're willing to raise all these objections. That's a good point. Well, you, could I make an observation here? Sure. I think I think what they're saying is, the uh, district that I live in and was elected from was run cleanly and without any problems. <laughs> but it's but everybody nasty, else's was messed up. Yeah. That's right. It's those nasty people in Flint and Detroit and Saginaw and all of those those uh, cities that ran uh, corrupt and, and uh, terrible uh, campaigns or yeah, terrible yeah. elections. Yeah, they're <laughs> saying it's clean in my backyard, but boy, yours is really dirty. Everybody else messed up at me. Well, yeah. I actually yeah. saw one of the, uh, fr- it was from another state, but one of the uh, uh, people in Congress uh, newly elected that is planning to object um, 
was asked that that very question and said, well, no, we're not talking about my race. We're just talking about the president's. <laughs> and, and I thought, <laughs> that, that clearly... Clearly it's a certainly newcomer. A valid, it's certainly a valid question on a senatorial level because you got a statewide constituency. Yeah. Well, we have to break here for the top of the hour ID, but we will return with the second half of Armchair Politics with Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 